Welcome to Rushcast. My name is Jay Mantis. Thank you for being here. Today I have another phenomenal guest. Uh, this person was involved with the group for a small amount of time recently. Uh, Jacob Sakelli is uh, one of the cello players from the Clockwork Angels String Quartet, or String Ensemble, I should say. How you doing, Jacob? Hey, Jay, I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good. Uh, I'm really excited to have you on. It's it's really nice when you know I send out emails to people to be on the show as invites, and sometimes I don't get responses. Sometimes I get maybe. Uh, it's really nice when people go, yeah, that sounds like a blast. Let's do it. And uh, that's what Jacob <laughs> did, so I really appreciate it. Oh, no problem, man. Yeah. Let's- so I, I have... So many questions that I'm not, I'm not sure what order to do this in, but I've, uh, you know, since it was announced that Rush would be touring with a string ensemble, I got real excited. I had a ton of stuff I wanted to ask. Uh, myself, I am a string player and a string educator, so I have, I'm going to try to keep away from the geeky stuff that maybe the Rush fans who aren't music teachers wouldn't care about, you know? <laughs> Uh, sure. Yeah, I'm a bit of a nerd myself. Right. We'll, let, yeah. Let's let's try to denerdify. Let me get the nerdiest question out of the way first. Uh, okay. Okay. And this was probably the first thing I wondered about when I saw the show live. I saw the Clockwork sure. show in three different cities, and each okay. time I watched Carnies and thought, "Gosh, that's a lot of fire." And I'm yeah. wondering. Uh, I'm thinking I, I wouldn't want my main axe on stage if I'm that close to that many flames. So were you using yeah. your main axe? Uh, yes. Um, I was using my main axe, as was Adele, uh, the other cellist. Um, one of the cool things about being on a ginormo uh, rock tour like Rush, as opposed to uh, a small tour where, you know, you're, you might be uh, uh, in different accommodations or in a van or where whatever, is, is that we were actually able to uh, travel pretty comfortably with our instruments. And uh, even when we had the occasional flight, which wasn't very often, um, we had a seat for our instruments. And so I felt that, um, I I just felt Rush was taking such good care of me that I wanted to be on stage uh, with my best instrument, Uh my sound, uh, the instrument I felt the most comfortable with. so, yes, I was playing. Now, some of the violinists, actually, after they'd experienced Carney's <laughs> for the first few times, we didn't realize how hot it was going to be, you understand. Yeah. Like, when you're first, first rehearsing and, you know, kind of getting ready for the tour, um, uh, they actually came back for the second leg, because we were three weeks on, one week off. That's kind of how, how, how the Rush tour and a lot of big tours of that ilk mm-hmm. uh, are. Um, they actually came back with uh, beater instruments, you know, Chinese instruments. Maybe most string players have a secondary instrument that they'll use for, you know, outdoor gigs. Sure. Or, you know, if they play weddings, basically so, a disposable instrument. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, you know, I was there the entire time with my uh, incredible uh, Eric Benning cello, who's one of the great luthiers in the world, and uh, I... Uh, he made the cello that I play. He actually lives in Los Angeles, but uh, it's a very expensive, very incredible cello, and uh, and I played it. And also, Jay, to be honest with you, you're on tour so long that I spent a lot of time practicing in the hotel room. You know, I was you know I was you know not only practicing for the shows, but I was uh, finishing uh, writing my own album. You know, the music huh. for that, and I was doing a lot of practicing. So I kind of wanted my instrument around for that reason too. Yeah. Uh- 
What was I, I? I often wondered what your monitor mix was like. I you had in ear monitors, right? We did. Yeah. And for a three piece band, you know, Getty can say, okay, I want mostly bass, a little guitar in the left, a little drums in the right, that kind of thing. But with all of you guys up there, what were you listening to? Oh well, you know that's a good question. But I, I do want to say, Jay, that uh, it was not that simple uh, for Ged either. You know, all of the samples that they're triggering live and all of this kind of stuff um, sort of needed to be at the right level for yeah. the guys to be comfortable. And these guys are the ultimate uh, perfectionists. I can say this, you know, in all of my experience with great classical musicians, great jazz musicians, uh, other rock musicians. Uh, Hip hop musicians, I've you know performed with Jay Z before, and uh, 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 all kinds of people. Uh, I have to say that they are the ultimate perfectionists, mm-hmm. and that you know when we were getting ready for the tour, I remember just days being spent on the monitor mix, their mm-hmm. monitor mix with them. I mean, hours and hours, and boy, you know it had to be perfect every time. So uh, you know our sound guys, you know Brent and uh, Brad. I mean, what they do is. I mean, these guys are really, really amazing. <laughs> they have to be. Um, and that's why Rush, they really make sure that they always go out with the same people. You know, I mean, it, uh, everyone knows about Howard, the, the lighting guy, that's yep. been with us since the band started. But all of the guys on this tour, like, they want their guys because uh, they're very demanding and that things need to be uh, perfect. And, you know, it really was very inspiring, actually, you know, to me as a musician because... Uh, quick story, when we started the tour, they brought us out a week in advance um, uh, to rehearse. We were in a place called, uh, what was it, Mississauga, which is right outside of Toronto. And they rented out a hockey rink, uh, basically, and uh, to build the show. And, you know, not just building the, the stage and whatever, but to have to have all the musicians out, you have to understand... This is a really expensive thing to house and to fly out, you know, a full crew and all the musicians for a week. Like, you're talking about, like, 50 people, right? Yeah. To be, and, and, and it's because they insist that the first show sounds like they've been touring, you know? Yep. They, it's like they don't want the fans at the first show to not get the absolute highest quality. And even on a huge rock store, that's pretty unprecedented. Like, to give you... I mentioned Jay-Z a minute ago. They literally flew me out for that the day of the wow. show, right? And you rehearse for, you know, uh, you know, a couple hours maybe with the string guys, and then you're on the stage with the, with, with the huh. MD, and then, you know, you're playing. You know, because that's cheaper. Like, that's, that's doable. And right. even on a multi-gajillion dollar rock tour, you know, Jay-Z wants to save money. You know what I mean? Yep. Uh, and this is just a very, very different thing, man. And it was very inspiring like see that level of attention to detail when frankly you know they've earned their you know their fans obviously anyone listening to this knows everyone loves them they can get away with whatever they want at this point you know what i mean yeah but they're just absolute professionals absolute perfectionists totally committed to the highest quality in what they do and that was really cool to see from rock stars (laughs) I, i don't know that i was expecting that so anyway, to actually answer your question after that huge tangent, um, <laughs> uh, what, what we were listening to, we had, um, uh, Brent was doing our monitor. We would have separate rehearsals where he would dial in our monitor mix. Now with strings, it's very tricky because 
the you, way you gotta hear the you gotta hear the note you're playing. You have to exactly. Unlike a fretted instrument, you're playing exactly. But it's not only the note you're playing. We have to be able to blend with the other string players, mm-hmm. and then of course blend with the band and groove with the band. And that is um, that means that we really not only need to hear, but we need to hear everyone and at a level where we feel comfortable playing out and blending. And so it was a very, very tricky thing. Um, so what, what we were hearing, to answer your question, is, is we all had um, sort of a stereo mix of the band, um, but then for ourselves, we had a very, very carefully dialed-in mixture of our colleagues so that we could blend and first feel like we were unified as a section in our sound and our intonation and then secondarily uh, with the band. Uh-huh. Um, and then, of course, you know, and then I should also add, and also in all of our mix was absolutely no kneel. <laughs> because, as you can probably see in the video, <laughs> we were sitting right... <laughs> I was literally right in front of Neil, and Neil is so loud, you could have, you know, we had these in the ears and everything, but, I mean, you can feel Neil from a mile away <laughs> when so That's interesting. I never even thought of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So nobody had any kneel in their monitor. Nobody <laughs> ever asked for more kneel. That's like unheard of. That's funny. Um, uh, I know yeah. from my experience of I've never done anything close to the length of that tour in terms of one show. I've done some shows sure. where it's like, you know, maybe six days a week for three weeks. Um, a okay. couple nights are two shows a day. I know right. for me, I get to a point where I, I feel like I don't even need the music. I definitely do, but I feel like I don't need it. How long was it before you you weren't reading all the time? And I know most of you guys didn't have your head down in the music. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, we pretty much had the show uh, memorized. I mean, we, you know, there would be, you know, we would have music on stage, I guess. But um, so how long? <laughs> you know, that's a good question. I think, I think every musician uh, in the group would have a slightly different answer to that question. Mm-hmm. Um. For me, I felt probably after uh, a week or two. Um, now, again, you have to keep in mind, as I said, that leading up to the show, we were rehearsing uh, quite intensively. I mean, we would be doing sure. two a days, and, you know, David Campbell, you know, our uh, faithful and wonderful arranger slash leader, uh-huh. he was there during that time. and. You know, he's uh, quite uh, quite picky and demanding in a good way. You know, he has great ears, and he really wants things to sound uh, sound perfectly, which mm-hmm. is, you know, why he was such a great fit for Rush and why the arrangements are just really fantastic. Yeah. Um, and, so, um, and so by the time we hit the stage, we, you know, I felt like I really, really knew the music, but... It was probably another week or two before I really felt like, okay, like I can I can let this go and totally enjoy and be be with the guys, which was fun because it, you know as you see in the the tour, the Rush guys, you know Alex and uh, Getty and Neil, they they really really wanted to interact with us. Yeah. Like it wasn't it wasn't like a string section that's just kind of off in the background. Yep. You know, uh, uh, which you know it can often be um, in big tours. Like, they really wanted a collaborative 
you know, every night it felt like it was almost like making chamber music with the guys. I never felt like a background musician. You know, everyone in the group really commented um, about how sort of special that was. You know, but I think that's who they are as musicians, and it's their attitude that, you know, it's 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 this collaborative thing, and it's it's it was just incredibly exciting to be uh, a part of. Were the the musicians we saw on stage at the concert the same musicians that recorded strings on the album in the studio? Uh, yes. Okay. Uh, follow up to that. I noticed that. A lot of the arrangements were different live than on the studio, and understandably so at times. Um, were there any parts that you thought, you know, you know, what is your opinion on that difference? Were there parts where you went, oh, this is a lot cooler, or I, I really like playing this part better, or I wish we had been playing the um, studio part? Um, from, from the cellist perspective, most of the parts were fairly similar, but um, I think that, uh, and also... Uh, quick spoiler, I'm not actually sure if they did this already, so this, this might not be a spoiler at all, but um, we actually went during the tour and recorded three tunes after the album was released from the record that didn't have strings originally, and we recorded a version of them that now have the string parts that had been arranged for the tour, and I think those were either going to be released, they may have released them now, just as bonus tracks or separate tracks or... Um, uh, or maybe they, they haven't been released yet. I, sh- I should really know that, but... Uh, <laughs> Inter- reason, very I, interesting. For some reason, I don't. I'm not sure I know about that. Maybe it is a spoiler. Yeah, yeah, I may have just totally screwed things up, and I'll be getting a call <laughs> from uh, Liam, their manager, uh, cursing me out. But uh, <laughs> they, they, they are in possession of those, so there are Clockwork Angels tracks uh, that you guys, you listeners out there, have not heard. Um, uh new versions of the tunes uh, that are more like uh, what you heard on tour uh, where the strings uh, have been added. I think we went to to Capitol or Ocean Way or whatever, and we did that while we were in uh, Los Angeles uh, performing. So that was, that, was, that was super fun. That's really but, cool, uh, and it's a, kind of a nice little yeah. guessing game for me and my listeners to go back and listen. Which, which <laughs> right. of these don't exactly. have strings, and what might it sound like? Exactly, yeah. Some some breaking rush news there. Aside from so. carnies and any time where there was either an explosion or a massive ball of fire behind you, what was the most oh, yeah. what was the most difficult part for you? Um and I'm gonna take a guess here. Each time I watched the D V D or saw the show, in the yeah. the end of Dreamline, going into the last chorus, there was a huge scale, real fast. And I kinda watched everyone in the ensemble kind of take a break from rocking out for a second and go, all right, we got to focus on this one scale. <laughs> Hold on a second. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was, that was a really cool, like, you know, to, for me, it, it wasn't, it wasn't the, yeah, that's, that's a really good question. Um, there, uh, man. Yeah. There was, a. Uh, I think in the beginning when we added YYZ, initially we hadn't been playing that mm-hmm. um, playing along doing that one with the guys um, was a little bit tricky there's a tricky transition of just because right before that it's so loud and then you really have to hear Neil's um, symbol to lock into the time correctly yeah. um, so 
Yeah, actually, in the show, it wasn't the runs or whatever. It was just the little technical uh, transitions and uh, uh, the uh, the timing, you know, because they're obviously very creative guys with the metric shifts and things like that. And, yeah. You know, you get to a point where you have to be, uh, you really just have to be concentrating <laughs> the whole show. That's, that's the thing of it. You know, they don't have any... Uh, uh, I mean, the garden has some moments where, you know, at least the cellos could relax a little bit, but, you know, there's really kind of uh, uh, this thing of being on edge mentally the whole time just to make sure you're catching the transitions and uh, you really can't fall asleep at the wheel for a second. Uh-huh. Interesting. But that's fun. <laughs> you oh, for know, sure. That's, keeps that's, you that's engaged. That's the fun of playing with them. Yeah. Well, before, yeah you was, were, uh, before you were involved with clockwork... What was your relationship with the uh, Rush's music like? Do you have a favorite yeah, album um, or a favorite song? Yeah, uh, I do. Uh, I mean, I liked... Um, now, the biggest Rush fan in the strings was definitely uh, John Dinklage, mm-hmm. uh, the violinist. He was the guy who, like, you know, grew up and um, uh, jobs in his, I think, late 40s, mid-40s, something like that. And he... He, you know, had all the Rush posters, and, you know, he was, he was like that, that guy. You know, he can air guitar every Alex solo better than Alex can play <laughs> Alex solos. It's amazing um, to watch him do that. But uh, so I was definitely, you know, in the middle end of that spectrum, probably. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, I, you know, I obviously love, you know, moving pictures, uh, permanent waves, um, uh, those those records uh, were were kind of my favorite, um, but um, and of course you know I knew all of their big hits you know and even you know I mean I I knew their I knew their hits you know I knew yeah. uh, uh, obviously you know the, the 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 big ones that we play at the end of the show the twenty one twelve the Tom Sawyer mm-hmm. you know and uh, of course you know, closer to the heart, spirit of radio, you know, all of the ones that, you know, everyone knows. Yeah. Um, but, but those two were my favorite albums. You know, those, those were like the albums that I knew. Um, but, um, after I have to say, like during the course of the tour, I became a much bigger, uh, fan and, um, it's interesting. And also I got to see the, uh, uh, the movie, uh, um, the uh, the documentary film yep. uh, on the tour, which was just freaking incredible, yeah. and yeah, I, I have to say I'm I'm even a much bigger fan now than I was uh, when when the tour started. Uh, guess it's hard not to be. It's just <laughs> osmosis. <laughs> was there a song uh, during the tour during each show where when you got to that song you d- you you could never get sick of it? It was your favorite to play. It was your favorite to perform. Um, or was there a song that you thought was most improved from its original recording with the addition of the strings? Oh gosh, that's that's interesting. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think improved with the addition of the strings. I mean, I I loved I loved playing uh, YYZ with the guys just because yeah. of how the audience would explode. <laughs> I mean, there's there's no. I mean, you talk about getting old. The show really, really did not get old for us. Um, the the energy of the fans uh, and just the experience of doing it was just, I mean, I, I yeah, I, I could have easily kept going. It, 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 there was no, uh, 
no letdown for me in the energy uh-huh. of uh, of the show and the excitement of getting to play it. Um, so you know, even if you were tired that day or whatever, you know, you get out on stage and you know you see and hear the crowd, and it's you know you just wouldn't be a human being if you <laughs> uh, if you if, if that didn't you know get your juices flowing, so yeah. to speak. Um, you had uh, you've been like you said you you've toured with Jay Z. Avril Lavigne, uh, Mary J. Blige, just to name a few. What's the biggest mm-hmm. difference between touring with Rush and touring with a pop group like that? Uh, um, well, there are, there are a lot of differences, but uh, the biggest difference for me um, was that attention to detail that I was talking about mm-hmm. that the guys in the band actually have. You know, just the the level of uh, integrity that they bring to every aspect of the process and the fact that they really involve themselves in every aspect of the process. It was really inspiring. You know, in in L.A., the story that I often, you know, when I came back to L.A., all of my music friends, I mean, and so many of my other friends that I didn't realize were into Rush, people were just coming out of the woodwork, right? <laughs> and I would often be asked what's it like you know what did you what did you learn from it what was that and to me the biggest thing that I think I took away from the tour and I think this is a huge difference is that as a as a studio musician in LA uh, I'll go in and I'll play because I'm being paid to do it and you have to play a lot of bad music, to mm-hmm. be frank with you. Like, mm-hmm. you have to polish a lot of turds, and you see what is selling albums, you know, we all do, and as someone who loves uh, classical music and jazz, and someone who um, uh, sort of came up in that tradition, you know, with my instrument and all that, until you start to get a little bit cynical about music in general. Yeah. Um, you know, I have people older than me that I work with. There's a drummer that I play with, Chris Garcia, who tours with uh, Frank Zappa's, the original Zappa alumni, wow. the, the grandmothers, right? Yeah. So, you know, Napoleon Murphy Brock and Roy Estrada, and, you know, all, all, you know, the original dudes. And, you know, he tells me about, you know, when it was really going on, like, the 70s, and, you know, the, you know, when... Uh, Mavish New Orchestra could sell out the forum for three days and people, you know, or return to forever, people would actually listen to real music, like on a mass scale. <laughs> and you start to get a little bit cynical, right? Because in my work, and, you know, you hear the radio, and you start to almost think, well, maybe people just aren't interested in, like, good musicians playing good music anymore. Maybe, maybe it's just about, you know, having a great but, or maybe it's just about being really hot or having dance moves. Like maybe people just want to see entertainers now. Maybe maybe real musicians playing real music is just not viable anymore. Right. So something amazing touring with Rush is is that you know even if you don't like Rush, you have to acknowledge just the incredibly high integrity level of their music. You know, of yeah. the lyrics, the music, the musicianship, everything. It's like, it's amazing, right? So, to be with a group like that, and to see them do their thing, 
on that level with the humility they do it with night after night for packed arenas of people that are just having this religious experience listening to real musicians playing real music was very life-affirming for me, like very, very inspiring uh, and positive for me, just from, you know, just my, uh, not just from the experience of, you know, being there to do it with them, but just as a musician Mm -hmm. who aspires to make good music and who aspires to (laughs) being a good musician myself. Right. um, That was really, really cool. And that was the biggest thing that I took away from the tour, I think, that sticks with me. Now, you said earlier that, uh, you know, you go out there and you play YYZ and the crowd explodes. Uh, yeah. the, the crowd explodes 99.9% of it, and then there's me <laughs> freaking out when they play Manhattan Project. I'm the only one in the oh, building yeah. exploding during Manhattan Project. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm like, yeah, that's, all right. That's a very fun tune to play, man. <laughs> that, that, that one we had a lot of fun with. You know, that, was, the, that was one of the few I, I guessed correctly that, you know, oh, there's going to be a string ensemble. I go, I bet we'll hear Manhattan Project because you had that that nice little string feature in the middle of it. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was a super fun one to play. You know, when we would do the tour, you probably noticed that you saw three concerts. You said, "Yep." You probably noticed that you know we didn't we didn't play the same set every night. There was an A set, and a B set, and then Act Project is part of the A set. So there were you know half the time we we weren't playing Manhattan Project. Right, and. uh I always look forward to the to the set where we did Manhattan Project. That was <laughs> definitely one of the really fun ones to play. I love that for game sure. As well, so. uh, yeah, one really one cool. more rush question, and then I want to talk about your your uh, original material. Uh, what sure. was um, what was the audition like for that gig? Was it you know show up, play a couple movements of a concerto, and you're done, or was there any <laughs> was there any pop elements into it? Did they want to see how you were as a a rock cellist? Yeah, well, you know, it's 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 kind of an interesting process. Um, the um, there there it wasn't really an audition per se. Um, the way it works is is there are there are a few people in L.A. who really own Los Angeles, uh-huh. and they're called the contractors. Uh-huh. And the, the music contractors. So if you want to do studio work, it's critical that you know uh, contractors who like you're playing and will hire you. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of the the rush gig, I, I had done I had gotten a call from uh, a woman who's a very well known contractor named uh, Susie Katayama. And Susie is not only a cellist herself, she's also an amazing accordion player. She toured with Bjork, just the two of them. Um, and she she's worked with every musician you can imagine. Um and is on a first-name basis with almost every musician you can imagine. But she's one of the big uh, contractors for rock music. So, you know, Aerosmith or, you know, whoever needs a string section, she's kind of the one uh, that gets called. And she also works very closely with uh, David Campbell, who is the arranger of the gig. So they're kind of like a power power team. Okay. You can kind of... Now, I was doing, I played, uh, I was asked um, to replace, I guess, her regular cellist or whatever that she normally uses. I don't know why they weren't available for. It was like a TV show. I think I, yeah, I played a string quartet. It was with uh, Ellie Goulding on the Ellen DeGeneres show. 
Okay. Huh. So I so they wanted an electric string quartet, and you know I'm kind of known as a guy that sort of can do a lot of non-classical things with the cello, which is sort of a I don't know, it's kind of my brand in yeah, LA. Yeah. Um, and so I was lucky enough to get that call, and I played, and uh, and you know in those gigs there's a lot of waiting to play. And so Susie, you know, is a contractor. She's kind of there all day, and uh, uh, I was able to play for her uh, uh, a little bit there, and we got to talking, and, you know, albums were exchanged, and that's kind of how that relationship started. So um, uh, long story short, um, months later, um, as uh, that relationship blossomed, uh, I started, I got a, an email from her, very cryptic, you know, would you be interested in touring? Now that's a that's a an interesting question yeah. for, <laughs> for <sure>. LA musicians <laughs> because LA musicians, a lot of us, especially the ones in her ethos and the other guys in the group, other than the two that were from New York, LA musicians, we make our living doing studio music, so we need to be in town, mm-hmm. right? Because if you're not in town, people call someone else and then they forget about you. Right. So to tour is kind of a big question, and so I responded, well. You know, not probably not. Um, who's on the tour? You know, who? What tour is it? Yeah. And she said, and it was very, very cryptic. Like there is this whole. Like it took me a couple weeks to realize it's Rush. Like really, it's Rush. That's kind of it. That that kind of piqued my interest. And then uh, and then we went from there. But, um, so it's really, you know, there's not like an open audition where any cellist can show up. Sure. Uh, that, that wasn't really the process. So the guys on the tour from the New York side were like Susie's guys. And these guys <laughs> have been like on every record. It was almost a joke hanging out with David and uh, Joel, um, who was the, uh, the concert master. Because literally, you could go through, you could name any album from any era in the last 30 years. Like, you could say, you know, uh, Green Day, uh, Time of Your Life. Oh, yeah, that's me doing the violin solo. Okay, okay. Uh, uh, Marvin Gaye, Let's Get It On. Yep, that was me. You know, David, yep, I was the old on that. Yes, uh, we toured with him doing this. Okay. Um, you know, you could literally name any album, any style, any genre, and these guys played on it. <laughs> I mean, it's insane. Like, laughable. Um, uh, and... So those those guys were the guys uh, that were playing. Um, you know, I was uh, uh, the least um, experienced. I mean, I was, I was one of the, the younger guys. Adele and I were the, the two puppies. Um, but at the same time, it was just uh, it was amazing to be able to uh, to hang out and, and make music with, with them. Um, so uh, I guess to answer your question, you already had to be uh, in the club. Yeah. Uh, now I I just I just realized this. Give me thir- a thirty second answer on this. If I don't sure. address this issue, my audience will leave me forever. Okay. Everyone wants to hear "Losing It," a deep cut track from the Signals album, which features an electric violin and, and a violin solo. Yeah. Um, uh huh. So a lot of people were disappointed or surprised it wasn't on the Clockwork tour since there was a violinist on stage. Was that talked about at all? Yes. Um, uh, so, um, I actually met the the original violinist. I'm, I'm, I'm totally blanking on his name. Uh, ben Ben Mink, right? I think. That's right. Yeah, ben yeah. Mink. He came. Yes, and he came, and he 
uh, I got to meet him, and we actually saw the violin that he built himself. Yes. That is the electric violin solo. Wow. Um, and a very cool guy, and um, Johnny uh, and, and Joe, where we were totally geeking out over it. It was really, really fun, actually. <laughs> and Johnny was begging Alex and Getty. Johnny does a, a lot of electric violin, and that was, I think he said it was like one of the first solos he ever like transcribed and learned and whatever. Um, he was begging them to do that. Uh, and then when we had, and they thought it was kind of a cool idea, um, there was some discussion about, you know, the, this tour, the next tour, mm -hmm. it was called at that time. Um, it was going to be smaller, and they were going to be doing you know, maybe smaller venues or, you know, more intimate to the fans or whatever. And then there was some talk of having uh, of having uh, him, him come out and, like, play that with them and, and whatever. So um, who knows, fans? Uh, <laughs> I'm going to be... Uh, hopefully uh, hanging out with the guys. They're going to be rehearsing in L.A. Or I think they may be rehearsing now in L.A. So I'm supposed to supposed to hopefully uh, go out and hang out with them and meet with them. So uh, if there's anything uh, if there's anything regarding uh, violin, um, uh, maybe maybe I'll be allowed to let you guys know. Yeah, hey. <laughs> but yeah, Anytime you want to email me and, and give me a scoop, you are welcome to do so. <laughs> okay, sounds um, good. Very interesting. I'm glad I had remembered that because I know everyone would kill me if I didn't ask. So thank you. Sure. Um, sure. Uh, Jacob does, if you don't know, uh, the string instruments in general are are not... I don't want to say not welcome, but it's very difficult to be in the jazz world if you're a violinist, a violist, or a cellist. Uh, and Jacob, what Jacob's doing is really, uh, he's really excelling in the modern jazz world for his instrument, the cello. Uh, if you don't know, if you're not into jazz, if you've never given it a shot, if you're looking for something to kind of open the door to that world, I think his music, I don't think there's anything better for you to go from the rush world or the prog rock world into modern jazz um it's really good stuff and you need to check it out uh jacob tell oh, us a little you, bit about your new stuff and where we can find it sure um so yeah uh, the group is called the jacob Sikeli trio um that's s-z-e-k-e-l-y i'm sure it'll be spelled somewhere on the podcast but, um and um you can get our ep on itunes right now um, you can also, um, uh, the full-length album is going to be coming out very, very soon. And uh, as you said, it's um, some people get scared by the word jazz. Yeah. Um, but uh, this is not, you know, the kind of chang chang lang chang lang jazz uh, that a lot of people are um, used to hearing. Uh, a lot of this jazz has a serious uh, progressive uh, and rock edge yeah. uh, to the music uh, that I think the Rush fans... Uh, will really dig, um, and uh, a lot of it was written on the tour, um, including uh, the tune "Post Blue Houston," which was written uh, when we were in Houston on the last leg of, um, of the first part of the tour. Um, it was written in the hotel room, um, you know, thinking about uh, the guys and just my experiences. And um, so, yeah, it's not your grandfather's jazz. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's. It's really uh, there's a very strong element of uh, of rock and progressive music. So you know if you like you know the meter changes and you know a lot of the complexity uh, that you hear in Rush, that's definitely mm -hmm. something that uh, is a big part of my wheelhouse as well. 
Um, you founded the String Project LA, is that correct? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yes. Uh, so something that uh, I'm really passionate about, especially as a cello player growing up, is that you know there weren't any uh, or a lot of uh, creative string players to go and look at. You know, there are a few you know gypsy jazz violinists and stuff, but uh-huh. um, my as a cellist, especially I. I realized that the cello was sort of my voice, and it was the sound that I grew up loving and fell in love with as a, at a very young age, but that, you know, maybe I could be creative as well and sing other styles uh, with my voice. Um, uh, and so um, I've spent, I spent my entire life sort of teaching myself how to do that and being inspired by it. You know, Coltrane and Miles and Jimi Hendrix and Rush, you know, and, and, and so what I wanted to do was I wanted to create a music school that would allow kids that played viola and violin and cello um, to study other styles of music, to study rock and to study jazz and to study improvisation and, uh, and to learn that they're artists. And that they can they can do whatever they want with their instruments, which mm-hmm. wasn't really the message that I got growing up, you know, in sort of a conservatory system. Um, and so, basically, it's the type of place I would have wanted to go to when I was thirteen. <laughs> so I think still to this day, we're the only school in America that's completely dedicated to creative string playing, and uh, uh, really proud of that. And I've gotten to go all over the world and. Uh, teach and at the college level, and also um, with with younger students, high school students, and um, and uh, sort of spread the gospel of what we do. And uh, it's been a lot of fun. You know, even when I was with Rush, when we were at the Boston Garden, for example, uh, uh, on the off day, I was at Berkeley teaching uh, cellists a little bit more about how to improvise and mm-hmm. uh, you know play rock and jazz, and it was it was great. So. Um, uh, it doesn't stop for me. It's something I've just always been passionate about because it's been such a big part of my life. So sure. uh, even while I was on tour, I was doing it. <laughs> I've, I, I have often felt that um, while we study classical music, at least in conservatories and things like that, um, sure. that, you know, we study it because it has meaning and especially for uh, a musician, it has a lot of value tec- yeah. technique wise. But I've often oh, felt yeah. jazz is literally the, or figuratively, the 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 open door to what's next. It's if you wanna if you wanna propel forward, jazz is what you need to do, because jazz no keeps evolving. So I've I've always wondered who decided that string players were just exempt from this. You know who decided you play trumpet, you get to innovate. You play a horn, you right. get to innovate. Oh, you're you're a cellist. You don't you don't do that. <laughs> I, I never sure, understood. Well, I mean- I totally agree, and that was kind of the assumption that I made as well as a kid, you know, because as just as you're saying, you know, my bass playing friends, you know, they were allowed to play in different styles. <laughs> yep. You know, they were they were allowed to be in jazz band or orchestra or even go play rockabilly, you know, or my piano playing friends, same thing, or if I had a friend that played trumpet or horn, it was kind of the same thing. And... I wasn't given that kind of impression, and it's it's not part of the... And, you know, I really don't know. I think historically there may just be an issue of, you know, who knows, when jazz was coming up in New Orleans. Um, maybe, uh, I think string instruments are a little bit more difficult to own and to maintain, and mm-hmm. maybe a little bit more expensive. And so, you know, maybe just having a 
saxophone that you could just throw in the backseat of your car or whatever, you know, uh, just, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe that was a factor. Yeah. Um, but it, it's really been, I think it's because this sort of conservatory system that we have is very old and antiquated, and while, as you said, the, the elements of teaching, you know, technique and the rigor and the discipline of it are incredibly refined, and the tradition is amazing, they really have that, those aspects down, I personally wasn't encouraged to compose, for example, or improvise a single note of music all the way through graduate school. Huh. And that's, that's, that's a problem in a lot of ways, but mostly because I think young kids lose touch of what music's really supposed to be about, which is self-expression, right? Which yep. is beauty, which is finding your own voice, which is, you know, what my music is about and what I think what Rush's music is about. And, you know, uh, and what I try to impart to the kids uh, in the school, you know, and in everything that I do. So, um, you know, it's one, it's, it's kind of like growing up with parents, right? And you always think you know better, and you're going to kind of make the, uh, avoid the mistakes that they made. So going to the conservatory, you know, as much as I'm so appreciative for the experience, and I got so much out of it, uh, you know, I always had this idea of, you know, being a closet jazz musician, and I had this idea of, oh, you know, this is cool, but I think, I think they could do better. Yeah. <laughs> I think this could be better. <laughs> and so uh, it's kind of, kind of my attempt to do it. So, you know, we created all the curriculum ourselves, and, um, and then, of course, there's also my uh, improviser's guide to the cello video series that I think is the first uh, really the first of its kind where, you know, it's really kind of a systematic approach to helping cellists uh, reimagine uh, their fingerboard and the possibilities of their instrument uh, uh, in order to help empower them to, you know, really improvise, you know, yeah. create, create their unique language. Um, well, I think yeah. it's great what you're doing. <laughs> Thank you, man. I really appreciate it. Um, I really appreciate it. And, it, uh, you know, for those Rush fans out there, it's, you know, it's think of it like you know, seeing Neil and Getty and Alex, like those guys, one of the many reasons why they're famous, other than the fact that, you know, their music is so great, uh, isn't just because they're great musicians, which, you know, they clearly are, but those guys really have a unique voice on their instruments. You know, I mean, I'm not a bass player or a drummer, so, you know, I, I, I don't know the, the technical things, but my bass player and drummer friends have explained to me... Um, just how sort of pioneering and innovative yes. Gibbs and Neil's approach are to their instruments, right? Yeah. Like, they really, they kind of revolutionized how their instruments are played and developed a sound that's uniquely their own, and, uh, yeah, that's, that's just, that's incredibly inspiring to me. That's something that I really aspire to, and I think all musicians should aspire to that, as opposed to just, you know, copying Yo-Yo Ma or trying to sound exactly mm. like <laughs> Jacob, this was a blast. Uh, anytime you want to come back on, shoot me an email. Hey, I appreciate it, Jay. Thanks so much for having me. You got it. That interview was an absolute blast. That's something that I've been looking forward to doing for a long time. Um, uh, like I said to Jacob, when Clockwork Angels came out, I had questions. And these that was before I had a Rush podcast. And I always thought, I will ne- I will never be able to get answers to these questions. I'll never have a way to talk to these people. Um 
and as a as a musician as a string musician I had things I wanted to know I wanted to be able to talk to one of those guys so to be able to talk to Jacob was incredible and I want to thank him again for coming on the show and being so excited to do the show uh he was he was perfect that was um a blast and I think uh you won't you won't regret checking out the music that he's making on his own. Uh, like I said, if you're looking for, if you in the past have thought jazz was not your thing, or if you've maybe been looking for a chance to get into jazz, this is about about the closest jazz gets to being a progressive rock band. Um, he mentioned meter changes. You'll hear a fair amount of meter changes in his music. It's, it's good stuff. Um, so I, I would recommend checking that out. Thank you for being here. This was a blast, and I hope we can, I uh, hope we, I hope we can follow up uh, something, something of this magnitude. This was a really, really special episode. Thanks for being here. We'll see you. <laughs> Brought to you no, by. Brought to you by Knickerbocker.